So this morning, I'm going to invite you to take a copy of God's Word. In a moment, uh, Roger Watkins is going to come up. If you can turn to Matthew 16, we'll also be looking at Ephesians 3. So we'll be reading a portion from both of those. Matthew 16 and Ephesians 3. Roger, come up and read for us this morning. Matthew 16. Now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, Who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, Some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, or Jeremiah, or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona. For flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. And from Ephesians 3... Paul speaking, to me, though I am the very least of all the saints, this grace was given to preach to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ and to bring to light for everyone what is the plan of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. So that through the church, the manifold wisdom of God might now be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly places. This was according to the eternal purpose that he has realized in Christ Jesus our Lord, in whom we have boldness and access with confidence through our faith in him. Thank you so much for reading, Roger. We've heard from our Lord Jesus Christ. We've heard from Apostle Paul in these two passages. Jesus has made some strong promises. I will build my church. The gates of hell won't prevail against it. Paul has made some amazing, powerful statements that the church displays God's wisdom and God's glory, not just to the earth. But even in the heavenly realms, the gathering of God's people says this is what God is like. When we hear those statements, we have to adjust our thinking because when I think of church and I think of the hours I've spent in something related to church in my life, and I start adding up all those hours, and I I compare that with the grand statements that Jesus said that he will build his church and that the Paul said that this church is an amazing display of God's glory. Sometimes I don't see it that way. Sometimes I need my thinking corrected. Sometimes church becomes familiar to me. It seems mundane, routine, maybe to you as well, if you've been in church a while. If church is pretty much all you've known, then getting up on a Sunday and being a part of a gathering like this is so commonplace. Sometimes we have to take a a minute and make sure, am I thinking about this the way I should be thinking about it? Sometimes we, we know that the church is flawed. And so we hear, a, we hear something like, 
I will build my church and this church will display my glory. We hear that from God and we go, but we see so many mistakes. We see so many shortcomings in the church. And if you've been around the church at all, at all, any amount of time, you're going to see that because the church is made up of sinners, redeemed sinners, but sinners. And we sin against each other and we have to deal with that and work that out in our lives. So the church is so familiar and flawed. Sometimes we miss all of what God is describing, but I want us to do something today. I want us to like kind of clear away the fog or I know there are times where you go to look out a window and condensation is formed on that window and you can't see it out at exactly where it's distorted or you go to look in a mirror after you've taken a shower and like the mirror has a layer. I'm not the person to describe any sort of scientific processes here. We've got PhDs in chemistry and biology, but I just know what I've got to do in that moment if I want to look out that mirror is wipe away the condensation so I can see. And I want us to do that today when it comes to church. I want us to get the picture that God has for us. I want us to see what God is describing. Just a quick word on how we're going to look at God's word today. Most of the time, and if you're here regularly, you know, most of the time we, we, we kind of cent, cent, center our attention on one place in scripture, four or five verses, and we go deep in that. Well, today, I've actually looked at dozens of scriptures. I will at least, I'll probably look at a half dozen or so on the screens So we'll look at kind of the breadth of Scripture, not just depth in one particular place. But as we wipe away some of the condensation, some of the fog about what we're supposed to think about church, I want us to realize that church is about being called by Jesus into a family. Church is being called by Jesus into a family. Think about this. We've been called by Jesus. This is the work of the gospel. This is good news. Jesus is the centerpiece of God's plan. And I hope this story never gets tiring to us, that we were away from God in every way imaginable. Maybe most critically, we were away from him in our hearts. We were rebels. We would rather do things our own way and and not do them things God's way, All, all the things in our life. And And because of that, we were willing to sin against God to get our own way. This is who we were. But in his love, God sent Jesus to come to this earth to reconcile us and bring us back to him. So Jesus does for us what we never could do for ourselves. He lives a perfect life. We never could. He died a sacrificial death on on our behalf on the cross. So that's why we see saying, thank you, God, for saving me, not because we saved ourselves, but because we know on the cross he made not just even a way, but the way he made to get to God. He rose from the dead in victory over sin, over death, over Satan, over hell. He's come to restore us, to make us everything we were meant to be, our identity shaped by him, our meaning shaped by him, our purpose shaped by him. When you become a Christian, it is because this has happened. Jesus has called you. When God finds you and reveals himself to you and shows what he's done for you, when you respond to that by turning from everything else and trusting in him alone, when you choose to follow him, something amazing happens. You are called from darkness, spiritual darkness, to light, You are called from spiritual death to life. You're called from condemnation because of your sin and guilt and shame to freedom and no condemnation because you're in Christ Jesus. 
You're called from being without God and without hope in this world to actually being God's treasured possession. That's the way scripture speaks of what it means to be called to Jesus. So we kind of wipe away some of the the fog here and we see clearly, okay, I've been called by Jesus, but you're not just called by Jesus into nothing or even into an organization. You're called by Jesus into a family. When you trust in Jesus Christ, you're called by him into a family. The work of God, the work of his grace in your life means not just that you are rightly related to God, but you have, you have a new family. You are brought into relationships with other people who have also trusted in Jesus Christ. So our relationship with God is affected, but our relationship with each other. And so we, we come into this and we gather as a family. Church is not about being isolated or disconnected or some sort of individual experience with God. It, it, actually, it actually is a relationship we have with everyone else as well. You even think of someone in the military, if, they, if they're drafted or if they volunteer, they're not just called into the military, but they're called into a unit, uh, called into a battalion or a, a brigade, a, a company. They're together, and Jesus uses family terminology. We didn't, we didn't make that up. That's not just a, a nice illusion that I think, well, we, we can kind of see some similarities. This is actually the words that Jesus gave us. So when Jesus is speaking to his first followers, he says this in Mark chapter 3, whoever does the will of God, notice the terminology he uses. He is my brother, sister, and mother. This is family terminology. This is the way Jesus wanted us to think that we are related spiritually. We, we are together. We are as a family, spiritually. When Peter stands up, with those first disciples after Jesus has gone to heaven and left just the the 12 there. This is the way he addresses the men and the women. He says, brothers and sisters. So he's listened carefully to Jesus. He's recognized we're, we're related here. We're spiritually related. I think it's so interesting even when Saul, who becomes Paul, Saul is a terrorist. He is terrorizing the church when he is redeemed and rescued, the first thing he hears from another Christian is brother Saul. This is the way we were always meant to think we are a family. The first three letters of the New Testament, historically, like when in order of when they were written, scholars tell us are James, Galatians, and 1 Thessalonians. If you were to read those, that wouldn't be a bad idea to do on a Labor Day weekend. You got some extra time? You'll hear over and over again whether it's James or Galatians or First Thessalonians, you'll hear brothers, brothers and sisters, brothers and sisters, brothers. This is family terminology. This is the way the church talked. This is what they believed. That's why Ephesians 2.18 says this, for through him, Jesus, we both have access, so that's Jew and Gentile, in one spirit to the Father. We have family terminology here. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but your fellow citizens with the saints and your members of what? Your members of the household of God. So this is what we know. We know certainly in this family, differences remain. Certainly there can be some dysfunction in this family of God. We realize that. There are differences in our family, but you know what there is not? There's not division in the family of God. We are together. 
So we look and we, we, we see the differences. We see the differences with educational degrees. We see the differences of, of background, where, where you grew up. We see the differences with nationalities. And yet we recognize while there are differences, there's no division. We're brought together in one family. Church is a family. We are called by Jesus into a family. And sometimes this means that we have closer relationships with our spiritual family maybe even with our biological family. That comes for a variety of reasons. Sometimes it's just pure geography. So the fact is, there are relationships that I enjoy. I'm, I'm closer to people in this family, in my, in my church family. Because all my siblings were, were so spread out. I've got one in California, two in Oklahoma, one in New Hampshire, one in South Carolina, one in Georgia. We're all spread out. But I, but I see... Almost every day of the week, I see my church family. There, there's a uniting there, but there's a uniting for another reason, and some of you know this all too well. It's because when your life was changed radically by Jesus Christ, you don't necessarily share that, perhaps, with members of your own biological family. For, for many in our congregation. That makes family relationships so, so tough because the treasure of your life you don't share in common with someone that you love dearly that's a biological relative. But because of that, there are things that you share deeper with your spiritual family. With the family that's gathering here, there's, there's this mission in life and there's this aim and there's this, this love, this treasure that you have for Jesus. That because you share that in common with people that aren't even biological relatives, they're, they're closer to you. They know your, your passion and your dreams. So we can talk about it in those terms that we are called by Jesus himself into a family. But I, I don't just want to think about it theoretically. I, I do want to ask, is that true for you? Is church a family to you? Is it a family to you? Is, is maybe this an area in your spiritual life where you kind of clear the fog a little bit and you kind of wipe away whatever has, has distorted your vision on this and you recognize, okay, church ought to be a place where I'm known and I'm loved and I'm prayed for. Church ought to be the place where I share the deeper identification as a follower of Jesus. If you really are, if you really are a brother or a sister and you've not identified yourself as a brother or a sister, as a believer, as a follower of Jesus then I would tell you the next step for you is to get baptized, to profess that to everybody, to tell people, I have followed Jesus Christ. He is my Lord. He is my Savior. I am identifying with him. I'm identifying with his people. I love and I worship him. But if you're a believer and you, you have been baptized, then what, what would it look like for church to be a family? I, I mean, I, I know we are related to people all over the world spiritually. But the fact is, I, I believe that Jesus' intention was for us to gather not just in some sort of worldwide sense, but a local sense, like gathering with the believers that we see. So I share much in common with believers that are in Indonesia or in Mozambique or in France or in Australia or, or in Brazil. I, I share much in common with them. But the fact is, geographically, we don't live close by each other. So we do, we are part of God's family, yes, but, but what about that tangible expression, physical expression of the body of Christ here that's present? Wouldn't it make sense that you say, I'm committed, yeah, to the, 
church family at large, but this church family, I'm going to know these people. I'm going to love these people. I'm going to pray for these people. And what's more, I'm going to be known by these people. I'm going to be loved by these people. I'm going to be prayed for by these people. That's, that's all we're talking about when we even... I saw signs in the hall for membership matters. That's really all we're talking about is a partnership that says we're together in this. We're together in this. We want our commitments clear. We're together for each other. What if it wasn't just about a name even on a membership role? For some of us, maybe you, you are a member and this is the place you attend. So generally at a 11 o'clock on a Sunday, this is where you'll be found. But shouldn't it be much more than you coming in maybe at 1058 and leaving at whatever time the long-winded pastor finishes preaching and hitting the door maybe a minute afterwards? I'm, I'm grateful. Don't get me wrong. I'm so grateful for anybody that attends, but actually what I want is for so much more than just a place you attend on Sunday. What if you came early? What if you stayed a few minutes afterwards? What if you got to know people? What if you got to be known by a few people? What if people knew when you weren't here? What if people knew when you had a tragedy in your life and they were to walk alongside you? Wouldn't that be so much better than just kind of slotting into a place on Sunday and then going about your week? Isn't there much more that Christ died for? And yeah, it may take some initiative on your part, but what if you were to even go deeper? So before 11 o'clock, we have Sunday Bible studies in which people, smaller groups than this, meet together and they, they talk and they pray and they learn God's word together. And pretty soon we're starting community groups in, in homes. And what if you took the opportunity? I, I know it will take some initiative, but wouldn't that be worth the effort to make that a priority? I, I know I saw before the service, there are ladies' Bible studies that are starting and some will be in the morning, some will be in the evening. What if you invested some time there? Wouldn't that be a good investment of your time? I think if we were to ask Jesus, what are the vital signs of our spiritual health? I think one he would point to is how are you relating to other followers of mine? Do you have any friendships? Do you have anybody praying for you? Are you praying for anybody? Do you care? Are are there deep relationships in your life? And spiritually, if it meant so much for your spiritual health, I, I understand maybe you've gotten burned by a church before. I understand you've gotten burned by Christians before. I, I know that those kinds of things happen. I know you might, might have made the effort to kind of put yourself out there and it didn't go exactly you, like you wanted to. But, but imagine this, what, wouldn't you, if, if physically your health was declining, wouldn't you make every effort to, to try to be in a healthy spot? Well, spiritually, wouldn't, wouldn't it be wise to at least make the effort? And maybe it's the 10th time you've tried Maybe you say, I don't even know where I would start. I don't know who to talk to. I want to take initiative, but I don't know who I'd talk to about like really becoming part of this family, not just attending, but becoming a part of this family. On the back of every worship guide, every single week is a list of email addresses. That's an invitation for a conversation. And maybe you say, I don't know who I'd reach out to, but I'm reaching out to you. Anybody, myself included, would love to get that email. Say, I want to be more a part of this family. I understand that's what Christ wants for me. Is it a priority? Is it a priority for you? So we have this image in our mind. We've been called by God into a family, but I also want to paint another part of that picture because we're not just called by Jesus into a family. We're also partnering to accomplish a mission. 
I think this is so critical for us to see. We're not just called to be a part of a family where we just kind of hang out together, although a lot of times family reunions are fun. Not all the time, most all the time. They can be fun. But that's not just what's going on. We're partnered together to accomplish a mission. That mission is to give the good news of Jesus wherever we can. We have this surpassing worth, this treasure, that God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit, loves us, has initiated a relationship with us, and that's too good not to share. So we have this treasure, and 2 Corinthians says we hold it in like a a terracotta pot, just a clay pot. But we want others to have this treasure. That's why our mission is clear. And verses like this, like they ring to us, our mission. So Matthew 5, 16, that says, let your light shine before others so that they would see your good works and they would glorify your Father in heaven. That's our mission. That's our mission. We're together as a family for a mission. So Matthew 28 says it this way. And I know these verses are familiar, but let's not forget this is our mission. Jesus says, all authority in heaven on earth has been given to me. So go into all the world and make disciples of every nation. And this is what you do. You baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and Spirit so that they've identified they are following Jesus. And then you teach them to do everything that I've commanded you. And I'm with you always, even to the end of the age. It's why passages like Philippians 1, Paul says, this is what I want to the church at Philippi. I want to hear of you, that you're standing firm in one spirit, with one mind, striving side by side for the faith in the gospel so that others might believe this message and bank their lives on this hope of Jesus. Or Romans 10, 13, for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. But then there's the question, right? How will they call on him if, if they've not believed in him? And, and how are they to believe in him of whom they've never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And preaching not so much in the sense of what I'm doing here this morning, but proclaiming. So preaching goes on all throughout the week. How, how are they going to believe unless they hear someone saying, this is the way, this is the truth, this is the life? And how are they to preach unless they're sent? How beautiful are the feet of those that bring good news? We're partnering together to accomplish a mission. And what a mission we have. We have a mission to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. To love our neighbor as ourselves, To make disciples of all nations. When you have that mission, things begin to get really, really clear. In the military, I know they do. When you know you have a mission, you're either training for that mission. You're either on a state of heightened alert, ready for deployment, or you've been deployed and you're executing the mission. It all kind of bows to this mission. Everybody's engaged in this. Do I see it that way, or do I need to kind of wipe away some of the fog and realize, wait a minute, church isn't just a a place I go again because it seems like the right thing to do on a Sunday. This is a, a mission that we have together. Am I committed? It is, like, would my calendar say I'm committed? Would my finances say I'm committed would, would, I, would someone be able to tell just even with those two things that I'm in partnership together with these people for a mission? I could think of so many different ways in which, like even as we leave in a few moments, we're sent out into the world to be lights. But just for a few moments, can I share with you a little bit of my heart on the partnership that you are a part of if you're part of Ogletown Baptist. 
we could go a lot of different ways here, but, but I do want to highlight and just even set some visual, visuals for you. I, w- I want to show you a picture of a place not too far from here. And it's a picture of Main Street. And that's about what Main Street looks like these days. Only it'd be about one lane of that. And there's all sorts of people on the sidewalk. So I could show you a picture of Christiana Hospital or Christiana Mall. And whenever I go to these places, I'm reminded we live in, a, we live in an area where there are a lot of people who need the Lord. But this... So God, in his wisdom, set Ogletown Baptist Church 60 years ago, right near the University of Delaware. 20,000 students. How many freshmen come in every year? And how many, how many need a relationship with the Lord? They don't even know, maybe, that that's what they need, but they're searching, they're seeking. They're trying to find hope, and maybe, maybe they're going to try the party scene. Maybe they're going to try all sorts of substance and, and abuse those. Maybe they're going to try all kinds of things, but... But isn't it a part of our mission? Well, certainly it is. That's why our church has made investment year after year financially. Part of our heart and soul goes to like, well, if God's put us here and we are together, then let us be together about seeing people come to faith in Jesus Christ. We know, we know this, every one of those students of of any university, they matter to God. They matter to him. And so they matter to us. And I'm confident that what our area needs is churches, and I'm glad we're not the only one, that, that have a heartbeat for our area, particularly our campus, and that, that comes ready to love and ready to serve and ready to show Jesus Christ as a better way, as the only way to really live your life with full satisfaction. Could it be that your role in that is giving and praying, or maybe that your role in that is, is to send an email to Allie, uh, our college ministry coordinator, and say, is there anything you need and how can I pray? I know she would welcome that email. Church, we're, we're not just sending people to do that. We're partnered together to accomplish a mission. Can I show you a, a, another picture? And it's a picture I took yesterday upstairs. It's a, it's a picture of Bibles. I know I've shown a picture like this before, but every time I, I see this, so this is a room where each week a lot of international students and, and even um, graduate students and visiting professors and you'll notice the languages are from, uh, from all over the world. That's because people from all over the world are sent to our area. Maybe they come for a job transfer. Maybe they come for skills. And maybe they come to learn English language. Maybe they come for uh, further education. Maybe they come as a vis- visiting scholar. And, and I think our church is partnered together when, if God is going to send people from all nations to this area, and some of them are brand new to the Christian faith. Shouldn't it be a focus of ours to meet them with hospitality? Shouldn't our homes be open rather than like this place where we go to isolate ourselves? Shouldn't inter- internationals, I mean, I, I can't imagine living in, in another culture completely new, shouldn't they receive the warmest welcome? from believers in Jesus Christ. And, and whether, whether they ever convert to Christianity, shouldn't they be loved? Shouldn't they be loved? Absolutely. 
Does it make sense that we would be together? Does it make sense that God would put together? And this is what he does. This is what he does. He puts together introverts and extroverts. He puts together people who have gifts of hospitality and and gifts of evangelism and gifts of teaching. He puts together people who have financial resources and people who have just a a, a love for people. He he puts together people who are are filled with mercy and filled with uh, organizational abilities. And he brings all that together to at least show to the people we come into contact with. This is what Jesus Christ looks like. This is what we're partnered together to do as you give. And, and many of you, you're invested in this. And, and I know I, I, I'd love to see more and more invested into this. Can I show you another picture? This is actually uh, a hallway next door. So we've done so much work on this. And I look at it and I see, I see hours of work. This is the garden. This is actually our preschool hallway. And you could go around the corner and find the backyard where our children meet. You could certainly down the hall here, you could find where our students meet. You want to talk about being partnered together to accomplish a mission. We believe that every child needs to know the good news of Jesus. You, we can't manipulate hearts. Every person's going to have to make their own decision. But when I think of the mission field that's our preschool and children and student ministries, when I think of how impressionable kids are, when I think of how like sponges they are, don't we want them soaking in a truth like, God loves you. Jesus Christ came for you. You need him. I'm so, so thrilled with the work that Carrie and Christine and Pastor Evan do. And this is what I know. I'm looking at several people that you're partnered in this. It's more than childcare for you. It's more than that. It's pouring into the lives of kids. I was at a group of, met, met with a group of pastors and some pastors' wives last week. I think almost every one of them had come to faith in Christ as a child. And you say, well, maybe they grew up in Christian homes. A lot of them didn't. But there were churches that cared. Churches that cared about kids that are even in broken situations. Do, do we have that heart? Are we partnered together? Are you deployed in this? Who wouldn't want to be invested in this? Finally, can I show you one more picture? So again, this is a picture I took yesterday. The room looks pretty empty. Just looking at that picture, and you look around. That was yesterday afternoon. So someone put these chairs in. This is partnership for ministry. Someone hooked up all the AV stuff. That's partnership for ministry. Some, someone got invested and involved in this because this room is just an empty room. It's kind of unimpressive when, it, when it's empty. But, but here, we're the people of God gathered. And this is one of the, the most important rooms to me in this world because what I know is that people will walk in those doors. And what I don't know is what's on their heart and why, why God sent them our way. But, but I believe in not, not coincidences, but God's providence. And and so they come into this room, and, and maybe you were that person one day that came in here for the first time, and maybe you're just new to the area, or maybe, maybe something had caused you to wonder, or to doubt, or to ask questions that you've never gotten answered before. Maybe something triggered something in your heart, and you said, I, I just need to find some answers, something deeper. Maybe you, someone went through a divorce. Maybe they went through the death of someone, and they walk in the room going, what's going on? And, and that's a scary thing to do for the first time. Steve alluded to that a few moments ago. It's not easy. So what happens when someone comes in that, well, well hopefully they're greeted at the door, and, and that's, that's great. 
What about when they sit down? What about the person that's going to come in and sit down in October? That is just asking the big, big questions. And maybe they sit right next to you. Who's going to use time before a service, not so much to like, find their seat and sit down and kind of not, not really think about anybody else? Who's going to use that time to walk around and say hello? Who's going to use the time after the service to get to know someone a little bit better? Could that be your role? Unofficial, but really significant. You're the person that says hello. You're the one that risks a little bit to say hello to someone who, who may just need someone to be a friend. That person seeking for something may, may, I don't know, may get new categories for who God is and what Jesus Christ has done. Maybe months down the road, they actually put their faith in Jesus. Or maybe God sent them our, our way and maybe they loved their previous church and wondered, could God ever use them in another place? And, and maybe your hospitality, your welcoming into them, what if, what if that was used in the plan and purposes of God what if, what if they were to get baptized here? What if 40 years later they were walking with Jesus because of an interaction that seemed so, so small, some five-minute interaction, changed the course of their life? I've seen this happen. I know it happens. What if their children, what if their grandchildren are walking with the Lord? What if they decide to go to an unreached people and tell them about Jesus Christ? What if they're faithful in their place of work every single day? But, but part of their story will be you welcomed them isn't that worth it? So this is why, this is why we're partnered together on a mission. That's why I can't let us be settled and comfortable. I want us to play, all of us to play a role in God making his glory known through his church. Before we kind of go our own ways this morning, I, I want us to have one more reminder visibly and tangibly of what holds us together as a family. And that's through the Lord's Supper. I'm going to ask our, our deacons to get ready to share. Because there's something about the Lord's Supper. It's like the family meal. We're called into a family, yes, but we're, we're going to share a meal. And I know it's just a taste of what we'll enjoy together. So I, I want to welcome any of those who you've trusted in Jesus and you've publicly identified as his follower. And I want to welcome you to the Lord's table today. I want you to take this with us. If, if that's not you, then... I just ask you to pass the plate in a moment. There, there are times when we take the Lord's Supper and it's, we've talked about the suffering of Christ and it's kind of almost sad. And then there are other times like today where actually what we're reminding ourselves is with actually eagerness and zeal. We're saying we are together in this. We are partnered together to accomplish a mission. We have been called into God's family. Desperately, what I would love to, to see is, I'd love to see more and more people around the Lord's table here. Because God has used our partnership to accomplish a mission where he's known and loved and trusted. They're going to sing a song about the gospel reminding us that Jesus paid it all. And in just a moment, we'll take the bread and the juice together. So scripture says that on the night Jesus was betrayed, he gave thanks. Let's give thanks to the Lord. Father, knowing that your son gave thanks, even knowing the road that was out of him, makes me very, very grateful for our salvation. 
I thank you for your willingness to send Christ. I thank you for his willingness to go all the way. I thank you that he tasted your wrath and tasted death so that we would know eternal life. Father, thank you for this new covenant that's been made. We recognize the high, high cost. And once again, we remind ourselves that we are a part of your family because of the work of Jesus Christ. Once again, we remind ourselves that we are partners together to accomplish a mission that you would be known and glorified. We ask all this in the name of our Savior, the one who gave thanks that night. Amen.